Amen. You may be seated. Turn with me, if you have your Bibles with you, to Psalm chapter 46. Psalm chapter 46, over in the Old Testament. And if you don't have your Bibles, or you don't have a Bible, or if you're not sure who Psalms is or where to find it, we're going to show it up here on the screen in just a few minutes. Uh, But I want to say, as you're looking that up, uh, it is so good uh, to be back at New Life Church. It looks like you all have done just fine without me. Um, for those of you who are new, I'm Pastor Troy. I've, I've been away for the last eight weeks on a, a sabbatical. Um, and so I feel like, I hope you're not disappointed after eight weeks of really great preaching. I, um, a sabbatical, for those of you who don't know how it works in a church, the your church is so gracious in giving the pastoral staff sabbatical every seven years for just general enrichment, educational enrichment, uh, family, marriage enrichment, just rest, just being able to step back for a moment uh, in time from making leadership decisions and all that comes with it. And it is <clears throat> so refreshing. I had the opportunity to do many things. I was able to listen to some books I wouldn't have normally been able to listen to um, one of them, I, I, well, they were all good, but one of them I recommend, if you're looking for your next book to read, this is not just for pastors, this is for everybody, whether you're a follower of Christ, not a follower of Christ, any of you, this book is a great one, it's called The Ruthless Elimination, Elimination of Hurry, okay, so if you're looking for a book, that's a great one, I was able to listen to it over sabbatical, I was able to go out, um, to the Global Ministry Center in Kansas, I, which if you didn't grow up in the Church of Nazarene, which is great, we're glad to have you here. Um, that's our general headquarters for the worldwide ministry that the Church of the Nazarene has, and I had never been out there, so I went out there, interviewed some folks, and talked to some people. Uh, I got to go out west for a little bit. Um, I love the west. I love westerns. Um, and so as soon as I step off that plane out in Arizona, man, I feel like I'm Clint Eastwood or John Wayne. I mean, it's just in my own little world. I love it. Got to do that. We did some other stuff. Um, uh, a big part of my sabbatical is I, I've always been a big proponent that uh, my family is my number one ministry. Uh, and so as a part of the sabbaticals, I um, commit a lot of time to family and uh, one of the things we did was we took a trip to um, Destin, Florida. Actually, just it was the last week of my sabbatical, so just a week or so ago. And we got a picture we'll show you. For those of you who are new, it'll help introduce you to some of my family. Um, there we are at uh, one of the beaches there. Now, if you've been around a while, you'll realize that there's two new young ladies in there that haven't been a part of our family vacations before. Now, the little one over in Madison's arms is uh, Ella. Uh, That's Krista's granddaughter. (laughs) Still trying to wrap my head around that. Krista's granddaughter, my granddaughter. Um, This was her first family vacation. Then over on the other far end is Sydney, who, Caleb, who was up here helping sing, uh, while we were there, just got engaged to uh, Sydney, and so we just continue. Yeah, that's, 
Caleb found someone that'd hang with him. I, <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Have his own video room in his own house. Um, so it's been great. It's been awesome. Um, hey, I know. I noticed we got some college students back. Are one of the teams here? I know the first service we had the tennis team here. Are you guys a team? If you're not, you should be. What, what are you? Men's soccer. Men's soccer. All right. Could you guys stand up a second? Well, I like to embarrass people. All right. Thank you. Are you guys ready to sing your special song? Oh, <laughs> uh, We appreciate you guys being here. We had the tennis team here the first service and and all the college students um i'll tell you this while just kind of related what happens the first sunday of september labor day yes three services all right um the first service this morning we had standing room only in fact it looked like we may have people sitting out in the lobby um as of next Sunday, when college students come back, and it's not just college students, it's uh, families who have kids in our public schools who they're back from travel ball and vacation and all this stuff. As of next Sunday, this place, this service will be full. Um, and so we just want to continually provide space for people who want to come and be a part of what God's doing here. And so that first Sunday in September, the service times will be... Nine, nope, nine, 10, 15, and 11.30. Now, if any of you feel like there's people in your personal space, man, I'm going to need some people. The third service will be our, our smaller service. Um, and so if you're like, hey, I don't care whether I come to first service, second service, third service, I would invite you to help us out by some of you attending the third service if you want, but whatever service uh, you're here. We're, we're so glad uh, to have you. Ryan, Ryan Wolf, come on up here. Um, some of you may know this, maybe some not, but uh, Ryan Wolf is our new uh, pastor for teens and their families. Right? Yeah. Um, I, I want to tell you, I had a bunch of names come in and people come in uh, who had expressed interest in this position and wanted to be here but out of that entire stack of resumes you know Ryan I, I mean this from the bottom of my heart Ryan is one of them <laughs> no I you know there are a lot of great people uh, put their names in the hat and they would have done great jobs but in especially in church positions like this, you kind of got to, you know, just pray about, hey, who's the one that's meant for this position right here, right now, for this time? And, and we felt like Ryan was the, the direction we were supposed to go. So we're so glad to have you, Ryan. And if, if you have a teenager, if you are a teenager, you will want to be here tonight at 5.30. Um, we do teen group on uh, Sunday nights. And uh, it's, it's awesome. I may, if it's okay, I may pop in for a minute just to, okay. I, I've not got to be a part of it. I've been gone. So anyway, let's make Ryan Wolf welcome and uh, appreciate having you. Thank you, brother. All right, I'm, I'm taking the liberty doing a lot more talking before I uh, preach.
preach. It's just been a while since I've been here, so just kind of catching up, all right? Um, anybody in the mood for some fun? <laughs> um, some fun Bible trivia. And uh, I, I realize that there are some folks who come to church who don't feel like you're supposed to have fun in church. Um, it was great having you. Glad you were able to come this morning. <laughs> um, I like to have fun, and this is a little part of it. Bible trivia. L let me ask you a couple questions. Um, first of all, does anyone know where vehicles, even though it was thousands of years before they were invented, vehicles are mentioned in the Bible? Do you know where that is? Yes, Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were with one accord. Um, out of all the animals Noah had on the ark, what's the one he trusted least? The cheetah. <laughs> Man, I really, I got another one about Noah. You guys enjoyed that one so much. Uh, Noah's out on the ark. Why didn't he do any fishing? He only had two worms. <laughs> uh, did, did you guys enjoy your last eight weeks of preaching? I, I hope you really enjoyed it. I, I've got more where that came from. Um, baseball. Anybody know where baseball is mentioned in the Bible? Yes. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning. In the big inning. <laughs> Beginning, big. It's good to be back. <clears throat> All right, I want to ask you a serious one. Um, what command in Scripture is the most often repeated command? It's the command that was said the most. And I'll give you a hint. It's not any of the Ten Commandments. It's not, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's not love your neighbor as yourself. Those are great commands, obviously. But the, the, the command in Scripture that has been repeated time and time and time again, do you know what that is? Yes. Fear not. Do not fear. Don't be afraid. Um, it was a uh, command that was repeated to David. It was a command that was reiterated to Joseph. It was a command that was given to Moses again. It was a command that even had uh, Jesus' very own mom had to be reminded of this command, do not fear. It uh, had to be repeated to the women at the empty tomb. It had to be repeated to uh, the Apostle Paul and the Apostle John. Do not fear. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Why? Because as every one of us in this room know, fear is universal. It's a universal emotion. 
fear, as much as we try not to, too often is something that we all struggle with. You know, Christians are commanded not to fear because we have God, the, not only the creator of all things, but the sustainer of all things. Um, but so often our fear is not even based on reality or truth. It's based on false expectations. Fear is often based on assumptions that will likely never even occur. Fear, we, we've all experienced fear. There may be someone in here living in fear this morning. It, it was John de La Fontaine who said this, and I quote, My life has been full of terrible misfortunes, most of which have never happened. Many of us live in fear of, of things that never will occur. Uh, how many of you are old enough to remember Y2K? Let me see your hands. How, how, how old did you have to be to really remember that? 35, 40 years old, somewhere in there, right? 33. How, how many years ago was Y2K? Yeah, you, you got to understand that four out of three people are not good with math, so I just kind of help you be able to relate. Um, Y2K, you know, the computers were going to crash, the power grids were going to crash, all the stuff, the world was going to, it was just Y2 chaos was going to happen, right? I mean, it was just all going to fall apart. And then that, it just kind of came and went, right? And that was a perfect example of us living in fear of something that never actually happen. Now, check out Psalm chapter 46. It begins with words that are they're pretty simple to read, but they're a little more challenging to really get our arms around into practice. Psalms 46, beginning with verse 1, says this. God is greater, or God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though it's waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging we will not fear we will not fear the, the psalmist is saying that even when the earth gives way the waters are roaring the mountains are quaking we're not to fear the problem is we fear it was a sociologist by the name of Barry Glasner who wrote, he said, we are the most worried society in all of human history. The most worried society right now in all of human history. Now what makes that interesting is that our life expectancy has almost doubled in the last century. We have more cures to more diseases than we have ever had in the history of humanity. We live, we, we live healthier lives than so many other times and cultures. And, and yet, he says, there is no group of people who are more worried about their health than this group of people right here, right now in human history. We fear. We we. We worry. We, we fear about difficult conversations that are uncomfortable. We fear that life won't matter. Our life won't matter. We fear making changes in our life that involve risk. We, we fear 
admitting that we have a weakness. We fear making decisions that have huge implications in our lives. We, oh, this is a big one for me. I fear change. I, I, I fear transition. I am literally, you can ask my wife, the most predictable person on the planet Earth. And so when something changes, it, it can tend to wig me out. Fear strikes in the home of, we just started school this week, right? Uh, for most schools, fear strikes in the home of the five-year-old that's going to the first day of kindergarten. And there's fear in the eyes, and there's tears, and there's anxiety. And finally, the five-year-old looks at his mom and says, Mom, I will be back. It's only three hours. <laughs> now, uh, people with an off-the-charts fear often have a different perspective where they blame their circumstances for everything. I mean, they give all of their circumstances the weight of everything, and so they fear. But what's interesting about this is that over and over and over again in the Bible, there are, there are always two different types of people. Um, the two different types of people looking at the same circumstance, one is living with off-the-charts fear, the other not. They're just okay. They're walking in faith, right? Um, one will be totally freaked out while the other one is completely calm. There, there's scenarios like this all throughout the Bible. You know, I think of the story of the, the 12 spies that went into the promised land, right? And uh, they were going to take over this, this promised land, and the 12 spies go in to check it out, see what they're up against. They come back. Um, Ten of the spies are scared to death, and they go, there is no way. There's giants in the land. They're, well, their forces are strong. We will get smashed like grapes. Two of the spies come back in that same group, Caleb and Joshua and say we can do this not a problem both groups had seen the exact same enemy both groups had seen the exact same circumstances and one of the groups is scared to death while the other two spies are gone with God's help we can do this not a problem uh, or I think of the little shepherd boy, even, even if you didn't grow up in church, you're probably at least somewhat familiar with the story of David and Goliath, right? So uh, David is just a young boy. Uh, his brothers are out fighting a battle, and his dad wants little David to take some food to his older brothers who are fighting this battle. And so here goes David pulling his little red wagon, and is full of lemonade and PB&J sandwiches out to this battle area to, to give some food to his brothers and when he gets there what he sees is he sees a bunch of soldiers but he doesn't see anyone fighting he has no idea what's going on and, and so he goes up and he finds out what's going on come to find out uh, the army with David's brothers they were scared to death of this giant by the name of Goliath and, and no one wanted to fight and and they were just looking at their circumstance going, man, we can't do this. This is just scaring me to death. And yet little David comes along. And, and then rather than being overcome with fear, looking at the exact same circumstance, 
courageously steps up and says, I'll take care of the problem. And David's like, you know, all these other folks are saying to this giant, he's too big to defeat. I say he's too big to miss. And it didn't enter his mind, the giant's mind, until just a few minutes later that he would ever die from a slingshot rock that literally entered his mind. Anyway. All right, Psalms 46. I want to use that as a springboard to look at another story where two groups of people looking at a situation, one off the charts fear, the other no problem. It's another example of where we have these two groups of people. Now, the scene is in Mark chapter 4. The scene takes place on a boat. Now, how many of you have got to spend some time on a boat this summer or jet skis or, or something? Man, I, I love the water. I, when we went to Florida, I, I love the beach. Um, you know, they, they say money can't buy happiness, but I've never seen someone frowning on a jet ski. I, that's all I'm saying. I don't know what to do with that. But we love to get out on the water. And this scene takes place out on the water. It's a boat, right? And evidently, uh, what happens here is that Jesus had been teaching to these large crowds and at one point he tells the disciples hey let's get on the boat let's get out and go across to the other side where we can get away where we can uh, rest where we can take it easy for a few hours few days or whatever and so the first thing Jesus does is when he gets out on the boat he goes straight back to the back of the boat and lays his head on a pillow and goes to sleep you know because even though he was fully God, he was also fully human, right? I guess a way to look at it is that he's the only 200% person to ever live, in a sense. He was fully God, but he was fully man as well, and so he was tired. And so they're in this boat, and they're cruising across this lake. Jesus goes back, taking a nap. It's smooth sailing, and then all of a sudden, this huge storm hits, and the winds are blowing, and the waves are, are crashing up against the side of this boat, and the disciples are literally scared to death. They can't believe what's going on. And they're going, where's Jesus? And, and come to find out when they finally see Jesus, he's back on the boat taking a nap, not even aware of, of what's going on. And the disciples are crying out to him. And he's so asleep, he can't even hear them. Um, kind of like when our kids were little and one would start crying during tonight, the night. And I had the gift of not hearing the baby cry during the night, or at least pretending like I hadn't heard the baby cry at night, right? Um, Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat, and that bothers the disciples. You know, the disciples are fishermen. They know these storms have claimed the lives of so many other fishermen, and they know what's about to happen. And they're, they're yelling out, for Jesus to help them. I mean, it was a crazy situation. When, when we were out on the beach this last week down in Destin, at one point, they had the red flag out. Anybody know what it means when the lifeguard puts the red flag out? It's, it, yeah, riptide. It's really choppy out there. It's, and, and so I went out there to play in it and because that's what I do. I just I play in the water. I, typically, I hope there's other people around me. Um, where they can distract the sharks and stuff, but this is literally what I do. I take two noodles, I put my arms over them, and I just go out and float for a long time. And I just look at all the water, and it just, it's just amazing. And, but this day, man, the riptide and the waves and all this stuff, and it was just a reminder of 
dude, I would not want to step out any further into this situation because it is just out of my control. And, and this is where the disciples were. And the disciples are trying to wake Jesus up. And the disciples are going, Jesus, don't you even care about what's going on? Don't you care about what's going to happen to us? I wonder if you've asked that question of Jesus in your life. Don't you care, God, what's going on in my life right now? Do you not care? God, do you not see what I'm up against here? You know, God, how am I going to raise these kids by myself? You know, God, don't you care? God, how is someone my age supposed to get a job? God, don't you care? You know, God, how am I supposed to have this conversation with my wife or my husband or my family member or my friend or whatever? God, don't you care? And, and then there's also the question of does God just care about the big things in life or does God care about all the details of life? And there's example after example after example in Scripture that proves the point that God doesn't just care about the big stuff in life, the life-altering things, but God cares about every single little detail of your life. He cares about every aspect of who we are because we are his creation. We are made in his image. And someone may need to hear that this morning. God cares about what you're dealing with this morning. The disciples are in this moment. They're upset. Jesus is asleep on the boat while the disciples are freaking out. And so they wake Jesus up. And I can picture the scene as Jesus kind of wipes the sleep from his eyes. And in Mark chapter 4, verse 39, he simply says, Quiet! Be still. And he wasn't talking to the disciples. He was talking to the storm. The disciples in this moment are afraid for their lives and they're upset. Jesus is asleep on the boat, not worried about anything. The disciples are fearing for their lives and so they wake him up and Jesus gets up and just says, quiet. And just like that, the storm is calm. It doesn't gradually die down. The miracle is not that the storm stopped because every storm eventually stops. The miracle is that the storm stopped at the moment that Jesus commanded the storm to stop. And Jesus, I can imagine, grabs his pillow and goes back to bed and as he's laying down, he looks at his disciples and Mark chapter 4, verse 40, and he says, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? In other words, he's saying, Why, why are you so stressed out about your circumstances? Why are you losing sleep when if you really trusted me, you could be in the back of the boat just sleeping in that peace and enjoying life? Same circumstances, different perspective." And yes, the disciples were terrified of the storm, but after Jesus calmed the storm, something terrified them even more. If you look in verse 41, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? Who, who is this man who's 
not afraid in the midst of a, a storm that would take our lives. Who is this man that the wind and the waves obey? Who is this man? And, and that's, a, that's a great question. It's the most important question that you will ever ask yourself and answer in this life is who is Jesus? Who is this man? What, what makes this man greater than the things I fear most? Who is this man? There's a great answer to that question if you look over in the book of Colossians, which it might be hard for you to find it quickly, so we'll show it up on the screen. But the answer to the question, who is this man, can be found in Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 15. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all of creation together. Who, the disciples are asking, who is this man that even the winds and the waves obey? He's God. He's God who made the choice to become human and he died via crucifixion. He was buried. He rose again from the dead three days later. Jesus is the only all-sufficient Savior for the world and he will come back. Who is this man who can sleep on the boat even in the midst of a, a giant storm? He's the God of creation. That's who he is. He's the God of wonders. That song we used to sing in church, God of wonders beyond the galaxy, you are holy, you are holy. That's, that's Jesus. He's, he's the one who not only created everything, he's the one who holds everything together. He's the one that sustains everything and sometimes we forget just how big our God is, but he is the God of all creation. How many of you have seen the movie Despicable Me? Let me see your hand. Great, great little animated movie. Uh, show that picture. Who is this? That's right, Vector. And what is he holding in his hands? A shrink ray. So Vector's a bad guy in this movie, Despicable Me, and he's able to point that shrink ray at something and shrink it down to a very small size. So if he wanted to steal that Maserati, he could just aim the shrink ray at it, and boom, it would shrink down to a toy-sized Maserati. He'd stick it in his pocket and take it home, or a house, or whatever. Every since the beginning of time, we have been trying our best to shrink God down to our size. Um, to make God smaller than he really is. You know, we like to size God down to a figurine. We like to size God down uh, to something that can be hung on a wall or on a stage, some symbol, some emblem. We like to size God down to that we try to size God down to a, a string of beads around our neck. We, we try to condense God 
in a little box we call the church building. You know, that's where God is, right? The stained glass and the steeple and the organ and all the stuff. Can I tell you guys, God is so much bigger. So much bigger. As hard as we sometimes try, we cannot shrink God down. He's the God of all creation. He's the God that is greater than everything, including whatever it is that you fear this morning. He is the God that is greater than your past. He is the God that is greater than your present. He is the God that is greater than your future. He's the God that is greater than your addictions. He's the God who's greater than your failures. He's the God who's greater than broken relationships. And you can literally stick anything in that blank. He's greater than, and you put it in, and he's greater than that. And he's the one who urges us, who calls us to move forward toward our fear. You see, because Psalm 46 not only makes the declaration about who God is, but there's a declaration that's followed after who God is by the psalmist. Look again at verse 1. It said, God is our refuge and an ever-present help in trouble. That's the declaration about who God is, right? But notice verses 2 and 3. Therefore, we will not fear... Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, we will not fear. Now, is the decision not to fear because all of a sudden the storms are gone? No. Is the decision not to fear all of a sudden because it's not windy anymore and the waves aren't crashing and, and everything, the mountains are not shaking and quaking? No, that's, that's not it. We choose not to fear because the God we serve is greater than. This is why you can have two different people look at the same circumstance. The same storm, the same giant, the same promised land, the same whatever in your life. And one person is full of fear and the other person says we can do this. We can face our fear because we serve the God that's greater than. He, he's, he's ever-present. He's greater than anything I face. You know, and, and sometimes when God tells us not to fear, it's simply not to calm our anxiety. What he's doing is he's asking us to take a step of faith toward that fear. God is calling us to be courageous and move toward whatever it is we are fearful of. God is calling us to what you might refer to as kind of a high-risk faith. And, and there may be someone here this morning who you're at a point of decision in your life. You've been dealing with something that is just scary, and you have a decision to make this morning. And if not this morning, there will come one. Am I going to let this thing paralyze me by fear or am I going to move forward and am I going to trust God? And so the question is simply this. What, do you, what fear do you need to move toward today? Is it something that has to do with a job or a career? Is it, is it a, a sin or a habit or an addiction? Is it a decision that you need to make? 
does it somehow involve your marriage or, or some other relationship or a family or a friend or whatever? Does the fear that you're facing have to do with a step you need to take in your spiritual journey? The question is, will you boldly take that step? The God who is greater than is with you this morning. Psalm 46, verse 7. The Lord Almighty is with us. In fact, it's too good to just... All of us read it out loud. Verse 7. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And it's very likely someone here this morning who needed to hear that word from the Lord. You're facing something. And this morning you have a decision to make. Am I going to let it paralyze me? Am I going to let it hold me back from all that God wants? Or am I going to move forward in faith? I, I want to pray with you just before we worship just a little bit more. But could I ask you, is there anyone here right now, it's just us and God, that you just stand up right where we're at and say, there's something in my life that I've been fearful of, but God is calling me to move beyond it this morning. And it may be something that you consider pretty small and insignificant. It may be something that's huge and life-altering, I don't know, or whatever. We don't need to know the details, but I just want to know who I'm praying for. Is there anyone here right now that would just stand up right where you're at so I can see? Amen. Amen. Anyone else? Amen. Amen. Awesome. Awesome. Amen. Just stand up right where you're at. Awesome. Awesome. Troy, I want you Amen. In the back. Awesome. Anyone else? And now here's what I want you to do. I want everybody to stand up with them in support. Lord, we come before you right now and we thank you for this word, your word. And Father, we don't know what these folks who stood up are facing. And there may be some folks who are watching online who are, who are facing something. There may be some folks who didn't stand up. They're here, but for whatever reason, they didn't stand up. Lord, I just pray that you would help them in this moment to be decisive about the fact that they are not going to let this paralyze them from stepping into your will. As, as the Holy Spirit sheds light on their path, Lord, you are going to empower them and enable them to step into that light and to walk toward whatever it is you want them to move toward. Lord, would you help them? And help each of us, because Lord, whether or not we're in this situation right now, we will be someday, and we very likely have been already. Lord, help us to trust you. Help us to trust the fact that you are greater than anything we will ever face on this earth. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Now, here's what I want us to do. We're going to sing here in just a moment. But, hey, if you have one of these things, man, I'd love for you to email our, our church office. Go, hey, I just wanted to share some more detail about you know, this, this decision or this fear that I have to walk toward or whatever. I, I'd love to hear those stories. But finally, if there's someone that wants to just come pray at these altars um, and have a, someone or two pray with you, man, we love to pray with people around the altars. So just mind him this morning. And if you want to come pray, just do what you feel like you should do. Worship with us.
go back to the beginning can't control what tomorrow will bring but I know here in the middle is a place where you promise to be singing I'm not enough
Unless you come, will you meet me here again? Cause all I want is all you Church, go today knowing that the creator of the universe cares for you. You are dismissed. Past myself, Lord, help me be.